Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh, he broke his ankle. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. He's New York Sports Law and World Suffering Fan. Your host, Mike Phillips, a guy good show you this week. We're going to do an NBA crossover episode today, and we're joined by the guys from the Sorry to Interrupt podcast, Sean Rowe, Tom Bacchino, great friends of the podcast. Have a great time mashing up with them about the NBA, talking Knicks, Nets, uh, a little bit around the league. We'll talk about that with those guys in just a bit. We're also going to get ready for Rocky coming back to the film franchise, coming back to theaters, Creed 3 coming out on Friday. We're going to rank the eight Rocky movies, including both Creed's so far. We're going to be joined by Phil Fred and first-time podcast guest Mike McGon to break down the rankings here. It's a lot of fun here. If you like what you're hearing on the Justin Suffering Podcast, feel free to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform. You might love us over there. Feel free to your feedback and starring as well. I make the podcast even better going forward. Check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video versions of the conversations with uh, Tom Bacchino and with these Sorry to Interrupt guys and the Rocky rankings are on the YouTube channel. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Any further ado, let's get to our opening tip. We're going to talk about the little bit of pickle the Giants might be in here with this Daniel Jones situation. That's going to come up here right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. Opening tip time here. We talked last week about the Jets QB, obviously, whether Derek Carr would be a good fit for them. There's been interesting development on the Giants side here. Most of us assumed prior to the offseason that they would simply, you know what, re-sign Daniel Jones, give him a te- relatively team-friendly deal, give him a little raise prior free agency, which allows them to then use the franchise tag on Saquon Barkley, allocate some money. They still have $50 million in the cap, but signing your quarterback and running back is expensive. Use that money for other areas of need because that roster needs a lot of help. Might not be so simple anymore. Reports from murders that Daniel Jones is not seeking $45 million a year from the Giants. That's supposed to be up in the upper quarterback tier of pay for a so top 10 level quarterback play. It's not just by giving Daniel Jones top 10 quarterback money based on his prior performance. And it's a very tough evaluation because essentially this is his first good year. It's the first time he's gotten competent coaching all in his entire career. He's played well, but again, tough to do that. But Daniel Jones knows that he's in a good spot because... He just changed agents. They the market for quarterbacks will be right out this offseason. There are a lot of teams that are going to be looking for new starters. And Daniel Jones is no doubt burned by the fact that the Giants did not pick up his fifth year option last year. And he's gonna say, I'm gonna go get paid. I'm gonna go get every dollar I can and set myself up for the long term here. The franchise tag is still an option for the Giants. Keep that in mind. They can still, you know, tag Daniel Jones, they can't get a deal done. But that's gonna commit $32 million for him on the 2023 cap. That's his cap figure and his salary. That would have most of the cap space, by the way. That doesn't leave them much room to re-sign Saquon or actually improve the roster here. The tag is like the last resort is they need a quarterback, they'll just do it, but that would really let them to actually improve the roster, which is a problem when you have a team that has many flaws that they do. The date we're watching here is March 7th. That's the deadline to use the franchise tag. If a deal is not done by Daniel Jones at that point, I think the Giants are going to use it. If he gets the open market here, somebody's going to pay him. 
You got a lot of teams in the market for quarterbacks right now. The Saints, the Panthers, the Falcons, Tampa, the entire NFC South, really. The Jets, the Raiders. Somebody's going to get paid Daniel Jones if he's out in the open market. The tricky thing here is if, for some reason, he ends up leaving, whether it's, you know, a trade or, you know, free agency, there are not many good options to replace Daniel Jones right now. The Giants' playoff season means they're picking 25th in the draft. We are talking about prior to the season, oh, you know, this would be a bad enough for us to be they're up for number one. If they're saying at 25, it's like a lot to get up in the market for the top quarterbacks. That's also counterproductive when you have a Rossi's a lot of talent infusion and Joe Shane just draft picks to do that. It's hard to imagine the Giants are throwing a ton of money at Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo because they're not a quarterback away from winning. They have a lot of pieces that they need. So I think you're looking at if Daniel Jones leaves, you're looking at Jacoby Brissett, Andy Dalton, that tier quarterback is stock gaps. Now, look, I still think the smart money is here if the Giants get a deal done with Daniel Jones. He gets a nice pay bump. He gets the out after a few years if he does not maintain his performance level. Sort of like up at the Raiders, Derek Carr, they got a huge payday, and then they cut him before when he did not live up to that contract. Brian Tannehill up at the same spot this year. I think that's what Daniel Jones ends up getting with the Giants. We'll see what happens to him in a minute. But up next, we're going to talk some NBA with the Sorry to Interrupt podcast crew right after this. Basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way to dribble up and down the court. Just like I'm the king on the microphone. So it's Dr. J and Moses Malone. I like slam dunks and taking it to the hoop. My favorite play is the alley oop. I like the pick and roll. I like the give and go. Cause it's basketball or Mr. Curtis Blow. All right, the second half of the NBA season is underway, and when we talk basketball, I love to bring on these guys. They are the hosts of the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. We have a few crossovers here with Sean Rowe, Tom Bacchino. Welcome, guys. How are you? Doing great, Mike. Thanks for having us on. What's up, man? How are you? Pretty good. We got to start with the most important order of business here. Did Mac McClung save the slam dunk contest? I feel like so many people over the last, I don't know, since since Vince Carter have saved and then it's died again. I feel like Sean and I talked about this on our podcast. It was Michael Jordan and Wilkins. And then we had Vince Carter and then it died again. And it was resurrected by Nate Robinson and Dwight Howard. And then it died again. And it was resurrected by uh, Aaron Gordon, as well as obviously Zach Levine. This is our most recent resurrection, uh, which to me means we're in for, um, another five years of garbage, and then something good will come out of it. I just, I don't see it happening every year, and there's no star power in it. So you really need somebody to blow you away. And the other thing is that all the really good dunks have already been done. Yeah, I agree with Tom. We talked about it. I, uh, It's hard to say a slam dunk contest would save when a guy on a two-way contract did it. Not taking anything away from McClung's dunking prowess. Obviously, he's been viral for that since you know, his high school days when he originally committed to Georgetown and eventually went to Tech, Texas Tech. But, yeah, it's just hard for me to say it's saved. Like Tom said, you know, the star power is not there in addition to the fact that every dunk has pretty much been done. So I think that they're going to have to find a way. Tom and I did a lengthy conversation about how All-Star Weekend might need a couple of tweaks, particularly the game that we saw was down 20% from even last year. Um, so I think they need to make some adjustments. 
Yeah, I think they do. I think the only thing that's good right now in the in that weekend is a three-point contest. I feel like everything else is sort of a mess between the game. Nobody actually tries, and the only thing worked for a year, and now it's, I think it's sort of novelty's worn off here. The dunk contest has no marquee power. Like, they honestly should just make the dunk contest for charity, try and, like, guilt the stars into doing it. Yeah, I just think that, and Sean says this all the time, nobody wants to get embarrassed. Um, and that's the thing. The three-point shootout still has the main big dogs in it. Um, like who won, who won it this year? Lillard. Yep. So they still have the superstars in it, and the guys that are actually playing in the All Star game. Whereas the dunk contest had, you know, all fringe G League guys. Yeah. yeah, it's it's just, and even the three points. I mean, you see Lillard hit the half court shot. He just pulled up from half court in the game and drained a three. So it's like that's being a little bit more done with regularity now. You even see some of these guys in college who are hitting absolute bombs. So. I don't know. The game itself and the weekend just has lost a lot of luster. Um, and I the only that, thing, the only thing yeah. that I would do that would be different, and I feel like they did this earlier on in the dunk contest, is I would try and pick out a superstar when they're young. Because I feel like, like take Anthony Edwards for example. If you if you ask him in his rookie year to do it, I feel like you have a much better chance of getting a guy just buying low on a guy that that has star potential. That's what I would do. Is just have all rookies do it. The issue I have with this, though, is obviously, like, for a while, like, all the big guys did it. You mentioned Jordan did it. Dominic Wilkins did it. Yeah, Kobe, Kobe even did it once. Vince Carter did it once. Once LeBron makes, just continually refused to do it, like, he just gave all the other stars an out to not have to do it. I agree with you, but if you look at all those guys at the point where they were in their career, they did them, they all did it within their first, what, two to three years of their career? Yeah, that's true. I mean, like even, then, even now you're getting guys like John Morant turning it down. He's in that window. That's true. I mean, what is John Morant in year four? Year, year, year four? Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like you need to get them while they're rookies because now at this point, once once they have a couple moments in the league, they think they're too good for it or they don't want to embarrass themselves or whatever. And yeah, you're right. LeBron did kind of set that precedent by never doing it. Yeah, he never did. Let's go to the locals here. He has a lot of interesting stuff to talk about here. Start with the Knicks here because obviously going into the season, we sort of said – who knows? Jalen Brunson is good. We don't know how this roster is going to mesh this year. And surprise, surprise, if the season were to end t- like today, as of record- day recording, they would be clear of the play-in turn. They'd be in the sixth spot right now. So I'll go to you first, uh, Tom. Tom, what do you think about the Knicks? Um, I mean, from a from a individual season standpoint, I do like the way they're playing. That Brunson signing, I think he was worth every penny. Uh, Sean and I both warned everybody that he was not going to be a superstar. Um, but he did play like an all-star this year, actually above what, what we are all expecting, um, with his own team. Um, so for the, so for this individual season, I'm very happy with the way the Knicks are, are playing. I love the Josh Hart edition. Um, but I'm, I'm still for the long-term future disappointed in the Knicks. I just feel like we're not developing our young guys and we don't have the coach to develop our young guys. We have a coach that you want to, I think, I think the league has passed Thibodeau by, but he's more of a coach that you go out and get when you want to take a team to the next level. So for the long term, I, I think the Knicks are still stuck in limbo. I mean, for me, looking at Brunson's impact, it's a great example of how the general fan the cat looks at contracts and the discrepancy between how fans look at what a player is making and what the league value for players are. You know, there was a very common sentiment around Knicks, around the Knicks fans of, oh, is this too, mon- too much money? And it's like, well, this is the going rate for a 
starting point guard in the NBA. Like, he's not overpaid. He's appropriately he's appropriately uh, paid. And in addition to that, he's just a really great player. We saw him with Dallas last year coexist with Luca, get to the West Final. This guy is a legitimate, you know, he's a legitimate number one point guard. Now, is he Kyrie Irving? Is he some of these other guys? John Morant? No, but you don't need him to be. He's the kind of guy that a lot of great players are going to want to come play with. And he can fit his game to play with a lot of different players. Look at the year Randall's having. It's because Brunson is very happy making sure he gets his shots in his spot. Yeah, I feel like the Randall thing is a good call because I feel like the last couple of years he sort of had to do a lot of like point forward responsibilities here, bringing the ball up and stuff like that, and his struggle with his shot selection and whatnot. Now he's you know able to run into the flow of the offense. He changes shot profile where he's taking more threes and getting to the rim more as opposed to taking those long twos that made him the uh, comeback like the most improved player a couple of years ago. I feel like the Julius Randall Renaissance has really helped to save that contract for the Knicks so far. Well, he's also not out of control anymore. I mean, he still has his moments. Don't get me wrong. I mean. I remember that game uh, a couple weeks ago where he, where it was like, I think it was against the Magic, and it was just like, oh my gosh, dude, what are you doing? Um, but at the end of the day, he doesn't have the ball in his hands in those pressurized situations, which is really what the Knicks need. They need a true point guard. We've been saying this for how long, and they finally have one. Yeah, they absolutely do here. I also like, as Tom mentioned earlier here, the, the Josh Hart tree, I think, made a lot of sense for this team. I mean, He's not the pure jump shooter that they were looking for and are still looking for, but like in terms of adding a quality defender to the rotation and a guy who can go go all on rebound and get to the bucket with, with regularity, he's a good like, bench player for this team. Oh, no doubt about it. I think if if we said this before, if Tibbs could have built a two guard in the lab, it would be Josh Hart, three and D guy that crashes on the boards offensively and defensively. He's the perfect Tibbs type player. And I like the way Randall's playing. I mean, if Randall was a superstar type player, you'd be looking at a at a forty win record instead of a thirty three. But this kind of is what you get with Randall in, in his perfect state, where he's not completely controlling the ball, but he does tend to get out of control at times. But you have to take the good with the bad with him, just because that's the type of the player he is. Yeah, absolutely. Here, I do think look at the standings right now at the start of the second half, and where they are, they're in a pretty solid spot. You know, the top four in the East are pretty set with. Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, and Cleveland. You're looking at the next sort of trio here is uh, Brooklyn, the post the Durant, Irving trades, the Knicks, and the Heat. Do you think they have enough right now to sort of avoid that play and get themselves in the top six? I, uh, it's going to be close because that Heat, the Heat are just uh, I don't I can't explain why with Kyle Lowry being basically playing himself out of the league at this point. Um, and they got off to a terrible start, but their defense and their and their rotations is just so amazing. The Heat are going to overtake the Knicks. That's a prediction on my part, but I think it's going to come down to the Knicks versus the Nets for the sixth seed. I think the Heat are going to jump ahead into that five, especially with the addition of Kevin Love when he gets healthy. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see if the Nets can hold off the Knicks for the sixth seed and, and avoid that playing game. The Knicks have as good of a chance as either of those teams that that group of three um if Brunson continues to play the way he's playing right now and Mitchell Robinson sounds like he's about to be back as, as soon as potentially Friday night the first game of the uh of the second half of the season so I I like the way the Knicks are playing right now but they still scare me in certain moments I need to see them have more of those games like they did against Atlanta where they just absolutely pummel an inferior opponent um because those are 10 and Tom I, I think you, you know 
this has been a complaint of yours, they, they sometimes sleepwalk through some of those games. And you can't do that with 22, 23, however many games are left in the season. Yeah, and look, you mentioned, yeah. you mentioned the Heat here, too. I'm looking at their schedule right now. They play the Heat three times in the next month or so. It's Miami, Friday, March 3rd in Miami, Wednesday, March 22nd in Miami, and went again a week later in New York. So those Nick Heat games will be huge. Yeah, I would not be shocked if the Knicks get swept in that series, in that in the next three games. They'll probably take one out of the three. If I were to if I were to place a bet on it, it'd be it'd be two it'd be one and two. They the heater just you can't you can't put them down. They're gonna find their way to avoid the playing game, and then whoever whoever they play in the playoffs, watch out because that's a team that is gonna push you to to seven games in a series. Yeah, before we move on from the Knicks here, one thing that I think is worth bothering for Knicks fans, they still have all those picks they're trying to hold on to. I think they did a good job with the Josh Hart trade. Make sure they're uh, make sure their pick gets conveyed pretty quickly, and that was they have all their assets available here. With all the chaos in Atlanta right now, should Nick fans be looking out here at, at the Trey Young situation saying, hmm, maybe? No. Yeah, you don't think no shot at that? No. I, it's not no shot. I don't want Trey Young. Yeah. I, I don't think Trey Young is a winning player. I think he's a he's a different version of Russell Westbrook. I think he's a big stats, no wins kind of guy. And I think Sean has said it a hundred times. The worst thing that happened to that Hawks team was the fact that they made that run that fluky run to the Eastern Conference Finals when they beat the Knicks in the first round, what, two years ago? I, I just, I don't see Trey Young as a winning player. He's kind of a guy that you have to build your offense around and you still don't get big time wins around it. I, I just, he's a good passer, but he's not a willing passer and he makes terrible decisions late in the shot clock. Yeah, there's been a lot of Trey Young you know, buzz around the net social media as well as a potential guy. And I'm just, I'm saying the same thing as Tom, like, please no, for the love of God, no. Uh, you bet, you bet your ass. I'll talk myself into it. If they do trade him. Well, trade either him, of but, us would, but you don't but want, I don't him. want it. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. Cause it's curious is that because obviously they, the Knicks, and that's not a similar spot where they have all these assets they can trade and they're looking for the guy to try and trade him for. It's like, it's hard to see where that guy's coming from now, because I mean, you have obviously Trey Young's lurking out there. Does Bradley be able to decide he wants to leave Washington? That's another one you're kind of looking at. But like, there's not much else really in the immediate horizon in terms of stars forcing their way out of teams. Who Who would you rather? Because I have I have had a history of saying that both those players are not winning players, and they're not number one guys, but they're treated as number one guys. And Trey Young needs the ball like a number one guy. Who is Who would you guys rather have out of the two? Whichever one takes less to get. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You know I would talk myself into either of them, but honestly, neither of those guys are winning players at all. They're not going to move the needle. They're If they're willing to submit to it, they're like a third or a fourth player on a championship team. That is interesting, though, Mike. I wonder what you think, because a Bradley Beal, he could be a very interesting player if you can surround him with Randall and Brunson. He'd be a much better fit than Trey Young. That, that would team. work. Trey Young would not. He would come in and think it's his team. I don't think Bradley Beal is at the point in his career where he would walk in, unless it's a comparable situation to Washington where he thinks it's his team. Yeah, I don't think the Knicks would be in on Trey, Haw- Trey Young as much because as, as also as long as Steve was the coach, I don't think he wants that one ball-dominant player on offense. He likes the movements. So I don't think he's going to do that. Beal, I feel like, fits that bill. I know they're poking around the bowls, I think, with like the Zach Levine thing. See, that bowl, I don't know if that's a fit either. I like Zach Levine, and I don't think he would cost you as much as the other two guys that we're talking about. Um, I think the Bulls think 
much more highly of him than the league does, and that's why he didn't get traded at the deadline. So it really would depend on the price. There was a lot of Knicks and Levine buzz on deadline day that uh, even as recently as like two hours before the deadline that the Knicks and Bulls had talked names and, and players and draft capital. But at the end of the day, like Tom said, I think the Bulls value him a little bit higher. Also, the Bulls are in a very weird situation right now. They're they're signing Patrick Beverly. They're, oh, they, they think they're positioned to get into the postseason. I don't see it happening in any way, shape, or form. But um, Levine's interesting, though, because that knee is not good, and that's a player that could age very poorly. You know, I think the reason why they're going so hard for the plane is because they don't forget they owe that pick to Orlando. It's like top four protected from the Vucevic trade. Yeah. They're trying to like make sure that like maximize their odds of not of not having to like give up a high lottery pick to the Magic. Yeah, I, I actually like their chances. Um, I mean, I look at their schedule and they do have a tough run coming up, but the only two teams in front of them are Washington and and Toronto, and those two teams. Um, could fall, one of those two teams could fall rather quickly. Plus, Atlanta's in, in there too, and they just fired their coach. Yeah, exactly. So there is, I, I do like their chances of getting into the play in game. Um, and I don't know, I don't like Pat Beverly. I think he's well past his prime, but if you think it's going to move the needle, I could understand it from a buyout perspective. Yeah, let's go to the Nets now here. He's a lot of time on the Nets here. The Nets here, the super team era is over. It's in cover in depth here. Sean is the Nets guy on the, of this group. So, like, your thoughts on how this era ended here, and like the this disappointment of like what we we were, what you were promised a couple of years ago, and end up being like getting one playoff wins, the same amount of series wins that Dick Scott had Mello. It's it's one of the biggest failures in sports history. Uh, I don't think there's any other way to 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 talk about it. Um, you know, for a stretch, you had three of the top ten players in the entire league on the same team, um, and the various iterations of this team with. You know, Kyrie and Durant with LeVert, Allen, and Dinwiddie, and then obviously the Harden period, and then, you know, what was going to become of Ben Simmons and some of these other guys. And it was just, Tom and I talked about it at length on the pod. It was time to rip the Band-Aid off. Um, I got to be honest, as fun as it was thinking and talking yourself into potentially this team going on a run, I mean, let's not forget they were 18-2 and over a 20-game stretch from uh, late November into early January, but the drama was just insane. Um, constantly worrying about who's going to ask out or are they going to come back? Kyrie was obviously at the focal point of everything. If he gets vaccinated, Harden stays. If Durant doesn't get hurt, Harden stays. Simmons is not the albatross that he is. Uh, but I also think that I said this and Tom kind of made fun of me for this comment, but you've got to dare to be great. And that's what they did. And, I think that there's a lot of organizations across all sports that have to take chances. The Brooklyn Nets and formerly New Jersey Nets have never been a team that have attracted top marquee superstars. But I think this is a blueprint for them and then other teams going forward where when you completely turn over the keys to your organization and instead of working with the superstars, you work for the superstars, um, it's going to do more harm than good. So it, it was an epic failure. Um, and, you know, completely ridding themselves of any of the questions and just moving on, I think, was the right move. Yeah, Tony, I think you want to add on that one? Because I do figure also this is, this era, I mean, I think uh, Sean put it correct, correctly here. The difference between, like, 
you know, LeBron going, it's not like LeBron went to Miami and, and they did everything that Miami, that he wanted to do in Miami. He was still like Pat Riley was in charge there. Not necessarily though. Well, that's the thing, right? Like he wanted to be fired and they wouldn't do it. Yeah. They, they put their foot down on a few things, but they still did uh, draft Mario Chalmers. LeBron, LeBron has left every team that he's ever been on in complete shambles. Um, I mean, you look at the Cavaliers, they were a lottery team up until LeBron came back when he left. Heat were in the lottery a few years post LeBron, um, and then the Lakers. I mean, they're they're in complete shambles uh, when LeBron leaves, and they're still giving up under unprotected um, picks when when he will be gone and probably retired. But for this Nets thing, I, I honestly don't have an adjective to describe it. The whole thing is so crazy. I think if you ran this, if you ran the last three three and a half years in a simulator, this is probably the worst outcome i think a lot of times it ends up in a championship um but i do think from a league perspective and a macro perspective on the league this new cba sean i talked about are going to be is going to be very interesting because i just think the owners are fed up and the and the player empowerment error if you will will be uh tamped down a little bit in the next cba just because it's gotten it's gotten way over the rails and I'm all for players being able to choose where they want to go and whatnot. I think they should be able to, but it's gotten way past that to the point where you're costing teams and fan bases money and, and whatnot for, for whatever you want. And there's no loyalty at all whatsoever. So these teams thinking that they're doing these guys a favor to, to keep their good image in the league, none of them care. So, so what's the point? And I want, eventually want an owner to stand up to one of these guys and be like, no, you're under contract for three more years. You're staying unless we get equal value. Yeah, that's for sure here. I think this also is a big hit to Durant's legacy too, because again, once again, like he basically tries to draw out the blueprint for his roster. It doesn't go his way. And then as soon as things basically go to shit, he says, get me out of here. Put me on another ready-made team to win it all. And for a guy who cares about basketball, just Durant does, I feel like that's got to be a stay on his legacy. Oh, I don't think think there's a doubt about it. I think hitching your wa- hitching his wagon to Kyrie Irving is one of the worst career decisions that anyone has made in the history of careers, much less <laughs> professional sports, just in careers in general. Um, you know, uh, it's, it was basically he just lost, what, three and a half years of his career, just in limbo. Yeah, Mike, I mean, it's, it certainly is a blemish, but he's one of these weird guys who doesn't seem to care about all that. You know, if he, he does, but he doesn't. Well, that's what he says he does. You know, like he talks out of both sides of his mouth because when he demanded the trade in the summer, he said, I'm only coming back if Marks and Nash are fired. And then they say, you know, they kiss and make up and then Nash is fired. And he says, oh, you know, I, I wasn't aware of that. And then, you know, he said, my legacy is much more dependent on this guys like Nick Claxton and Cam Thomas become stars and learn the craft and, and then, you know, then he's traded again and wants out. So he, he talks out of both sides of his mouth. He's a, he's very enigmatic. Like McKyrie is, but just a little bit differently. Obviously you can't question his commitment to wanting to be on the floor. Um, but if he goes and wins in Phoenix for another, you know, kind of, uh, I guess you want to say tortured franchise. Uh, I think that everybody will just look past it. Yeah, I think his legacy is to come, he comes, if he wins in a feast, he's basically the ultimate higher gun because he was the final piece of the Warriors. They had that little dynasty run, and he comes the, he comes the final piece of the Suns. That's basically what he is. He can no longer like, be in that conversation. Like, oh, like, I'm the, like the Batman. I lead teens. Like, he's basically the ultimate Robin. 
I guess. I mean, he was still the best player on those Warriors teams. It was Steph's team, but he was the best player on those teams. I think as great as Booker is and as good as Chris Paul has been and Aiden, you know, starting to turn to get turn around, that will I think that when we look back on a hypothetical, let's say Phoenix wins this season, uh, we'll say that Kevin Durant was the best player on that team. But I understand your point, Mike. It's well taken. It is well taken here. And speaking of the Nets here now, we'll go back to what Sean Mark had to deal with here because he has a year from hell basically with Kyrie's anti Semitism and then him refusing the extension wanting a trade, then Durant wants a trade, and he dumps them off. He gets a bunch of picks, a bunch of young wings. Like, how do you think Sean Marks did with these trades to restock the cover a little bit? Tom, you want to start? Sure. I, I think Sean Marks was put in an incredibly tough position over the last couple of years, given basically the players, and it probably was partially his fault, were given the, the keys to the car, and they were able to run the organization. Uh, unique is a massive understatement to the situation that he was put in with these trades. Um, I, the Harden trade, um, it kills me, but I guess you're in a situation where the guy can walk at the end of the year anyways. Um, and then the Kyrie situation, you had to get rid of him. I like what they got. And Kevin Durant, you're never going to get equal value for a player like that. So I did think that they got away um, with what they could. If you, if you want to, poo-poo what he's done on the fringes with this team you can but I just think the situation was so tough for Sean Mark that I do think he did the best job that he could given the circumstances agreed I I, I like this roster from a couple of different reasons it, it, is this roster too clunky in its current point yes 100% they have like seven wings um, Yuta Watanabe who is one of the best three-point shooters in the league this year is going to be riding the bench Edmund Sumner who's had a lot of really good games as the Nets second unit uh he's probably not playing now Patty Mills not playing but listen to get a Dorian Finney-Smith who's a really top end defender in this league great role player Spencer Dinwiddie who obviously his best days were in a Nets uniform and to Dallas were really important and then you're also able to force Phoenix to do what they didn't want to do in the summer which was include Mikhail Bridges in a trade uh, they were adamant in the summer that they were not going to do it. Uh, they also were able to get four unprotected firsts from Phoenix, which they were not willing to part with any more than two in the summer. So you got them to up their ante. The new owner obviously played a major role in that, and the sense of urgency in Phoenix is legit. But they're going to be a fascinating team in this offseason because now they have recouped all these picks that Houston that they gave Houston in the Harden trade they have a lot of super desirable players. Mikael Bridges, there was the report from Chris Haynes that Memphis offered four firsts for Mikael Bridges, four unprotected firsts. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith was offered for two, uh, or the team offered two firsts for him uh, before the Nets decided that they weren't going to turn those guys into trade assets. Cam Johnson is a restricted free agent. They could keep him. Obviously, on their own roster, they've got Cam Thomas, who's had a really good stretch here. He's a legit bona fide scorer. And you have Nick Claxton, who's going to finish probably top three in all uh, in defensive player of the year. So they have some really interesting pieces. They can do a lot. I think they're well positioned to go out and get a superstar, please, for the love of God, don't betray young. Um, but I think that they're, they're going to use the summer to decide what they want to do. Let's not forget, too, they still have Joe Harris's contract. That's very easily uh, movable. Patty Mills, which is very easily movable. Um, so it's going to be fascinating to see what they do. But I, I do like the – do I love this team right now? I think they have a lot 
it's just way too it's way too consolidated. But I think that uh, I think they have some very intriguing building blocks. Yeah, I think in terms of the roster control, I think it's also interesting with them guys. The team they remind me of, I think it's more of a college level team. A couple of years ago, I think maybe twenty twenty one. I think the year before, I think twenty one season, the Maryland Terrapins. I think play a team basically like. Five guys roll between like six six and six eight, and they roll and they made the end definitely tournament. I think won a game before they bowed out there. So I think that that's sort of why I see that experiment having on the NBA level right now. Yeah, and I didn't even mention Ben Simmons because I don't think there's a reason to. <laughs> the guy doesn't. I don't think has a future in Brooklyn. I think they're unfortunately going to have to use a young player and maybe one or two of those picks uh, to ship him out. Uh, I think Jacques Vaughn, who just got a contract extension, doesn't want any part of him. Uh, it's a failed experiment. Let's move on. Um, but man, if he could just be 80% of what he was in Philly, what an unbelievable piece he'd be, but he's just, he's a shell of himself. Yeah. It's yeah, a shame. He's not even 10% of what he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny. I was thinking about a point where we talked about earlier about this, hand the keys to the car here. I think we should have all realized that the, the Nets are be more trouble than they were. I remember back prior to the first season when they were in Brooklyn and Kyrie and Katie were doing that podcast together and, and Kyrie's like, Oh, you know, like, one day I'll coach. One day KD will coach. One day, like Stoudemire, assistant coach, will be the coach. Like once that happened, we should have realized, you know, this is not going to work out as well as we thought it would. No, but every team with that talent will talk themselves into it. Yeah, I know. It all I know. You both, as Knicks fans, would have a hundred percent, no doubt about it. And that's what I've been saying to anybody that asks, or even on the podcast, um, the, the Nets and every other team in the NBA would have done that a hundred times. Yeah, they would have. The Knicks have been trying to do that for years. They've had no – nobody just wants to actually take them, take their money or assets to come. Yeah, don't remind me. Yeah. Yeah, and – It's a joke. Uh, right now, the Nets are – as mentioned here, they're barely ahead of the Knicks. They're a half game ahead of them in the standings here. They are uh, trying to fend off both them and the Heat to stay in the top six. Can the Nets do that, you think, with this weird wing-heavy roster? I think they can. As weird as it sounds, I think they can. They are – an unbelievably good defensive team right now. Um, you know, they, they really put the clamps down on Philly when they played them. MB just took over in the last couple of seconds. Um, they, they laid an egg against the Knicks, but they actually beat the Heat in the last game before the uh, All-Star break, and Jimmy Butler did absolutely nothing against Bridges. Um, I think they can score enough. They have shooting all over the place with Curry and Harris and Bridges and Johnson and Sam Thomas. Um, and Jacques Vaughn, his calling card is defense and getting these guys to play max effort. So I'm actually going to say that they will be a top six seed. I, I don't know who will be there. They also already won their tiebreaker against Miami. They have one more game with Miami in a couple weeks. Um, they've won two of the first. So at the end, if they beat the Knicks next week, they will have taken that series as well. Uh, they're up 2 1 in that season series. So. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm not going to say that they're going to, you know, win 18 of the 22 games, but I think they can hold on because I don't know what this, I don't have as much confidence in the heat as Tom does. And, um, you know, I don't think that the net, that the Knicks are markedly better than the Nets, even with this weird roster. I agree. I, I mean, I said it earlier. I think the Heat are going to jump us, jump both the Knicks and the Nets. And I think it's going to come down to Nets or Knicks and, it's it's really a coin flip from there. Who who ends up with that six seed? Yeah, that's that is the challenge right now here. And obviously, like these guys, we both know neither team's winning a title this year right now. So, if you had to place a chip right now on one of them for the next like five years, which you think is in better shape, who would you put the chip on? What do you think, Tom? 
<laughs> shit. Sorry. Sorry for sorry. Um, I go with the Knicks. Um, I just think that they have they're in a, they're in a better position up front. I just think that they know what they are more, um, and they have two high end talents and Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson, and they have the same kind of draft capital as the Mets. Uh, the only question is, like you said earlier, Phillips, when who are they going to trade for, and when are guys going to start being willing to come to the Mets? Yeah, I, I'm gonna just I'm just gonna go with my team because I I don't have I don't know about either one, but I've seen the Nets do it. I've seen the Nets take their you know overachieving roster and have superstars come here. I haven't seen that with the Knicks. Um, I, I can't see, blame you. I, I see a complete disconnect between and Tom. This is you know we've talked about this so much, Mike, on our pod is the disconnect between the Knicks front office and the Knicks coaching staff. It just doesn't seem. They seem to highly overvalue guys like Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin. So, you know, if, if you're not going to move those guys, but they're not really going to have a chance to blossom. Also, R.J. Barrett is not even closing games right now. I know he doesn't get talked about as much because the Nets were a superstar-laden team, but Cam Thomas is an absolute stud scoring. And Nick Claxton is a legitimate, you know, defensive monster. And then you have a Mikhail Bridges. So, like, I think those those three pieces alone are huge, not to mention the draft picks and the other good players on the roster and easily movable contracts. So I think both, it, is, it really is a coin flip, but I'm going to take my net. Yeah, I think I would lean the Nets as well, just because, again, like, you've seen stars willing to go to the Nets, whereas I don't, like, James Dolan still owns the Knicks. I feel like there's a lot of guys that just don't want to play for him. Yeah, it's, it's a very good point. Um Thank you for reminding me that James Dolan still on the next. It's a sad scene. Um, he is not. He is not trying to sell. Um, but yeah, I think that's. I think that's truly the thing that holds the mix back. It's between the fact that they never know who the hell they are, and the fact that they just can't attract for whatever reason top talent. Yeah, be careful what you say here, though. You might end up on the uh, Garden Security like uh, security list in about five minutes. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I can't even get MSG at my apartment, and before you know it, I won't be allowed to go to Knicks games either. But somebody's got to speak the truth. He's going to be blacklisted like the rest of them. <laughs> yeah. He'll be hanging out watching the game with, uh, with uh, what's his name, Charles Oakley. Yeah, right. Yeah, and all the lawyers that are suing the Garden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here. So let's round out here with a general picture here. So, like, who do you like as the top team in the East here out of that top four? We mentioned earlier of uh, – Boston, Milwaukee, uh, Philly, and, and Cleveland. Which which team do you like the best coming out of the East? I mean, I, I picked I picked the Bucks to go to the finals at the beginning of the year, and I'm going to stick with them. I just think Giannis is subtly feeling a little disrespected with all this talk of you know Tatum and Jokic and Embiid, and I feel like he just feels you know that he's the top guy and. I'm not going to argue with that. I think when Giannis is at his best and if Middleton and Holiday's been playing out of his mind and if Middleton, Middleton can get himself healthy, they're the team to beat. I think the Bucks are going to go all the way to the final. I'm keeping an eye on this wrist injury. It sounds like he's out of the woods as far as like a really significant injury, but you know, wrist injuries can linger a little bit, but I picked Milwaukee as well at the beginning of the season, Mike, but I'm going with Boston. They've just given me no reason to think otherwise. And they added Mike Muscala, who's a perfect fit for them. Uh, Tatum and Brown are absolute beasts. They got a taste of the finals last year going to six. 
Uh, Missoula seems to be doing a really good job as their head coach, so they removed the interim tag from them. So I'm going to take the Celtics. I just think from top to bottom, defensively, offensively, their versatility, um, and obviously having just been to the finals a year ago. I know Milwaukee won two years ago, but I have questions about Middleton and some of the other you know, supporting cast on that roster. You know, last time we saw Jay Crowder, <laughs> he didn't play very well for uh, for the Suns in that Dallas series. So uh, I'm going to take Boston. Yeah, that sounds like a fun one for sure here. And I'm also going to want to take a look here at the uh, Western Conference here because obviously Denver's been running the West all year, and now you got things are interesting out there. You got the Clippers who've been you know slowly building up. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, so you've got him in the mix. Memphis has been great. Sacramento, surprisingly, is third place in the conference here. you got the big trades with Phoenix and Dallas here. So, like, who do you like in the West right now? Personally, I like the Clippers. Um, I had the Warriors going to the finals at the beginning of the year, but this Steph injury and Clay Thompson just not being completely consistent, as well as Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins seemingly taking a major step back from what they did last year into the playoffs especially. Um, I, I like the Clippers. If they can stay healthy, I know I know that they got Russell Westbrook, but I think with those two guys up front and the depth that they have, excluding Russell Westbrook, I think that they have a chance to go to the final. For me, it's Phoenix or bust. And I know how great Denver's been all year. They are, the Phoenix Suns are adding Kevin freaking Durant, who was playing like an MVP before he got hurt on January 4th. Um, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Kevin Durant. They brought in TJ Warren in that deal with the Nets. They also signed Terrence Ross. Um, no, this is this is Phoenix. To I, I don't know. I, I, Jokic is unbelievable, but and so is Murray. But no, I, I think it's, Phoenix is now catapulted. If they don't make the NBA Finals, um, I think Durant's going to get absolutely crushed. I am feeling good though overall because I feel like I'm going to hit all four of my over unders picks on the year. I'm very high about that. There you go. Nice. Yeah. I had I had an over on Denver on, on the 48 and a half, so I'm going to clear that one probably about like two weeks. I had over on the Knicks, so I'm going to hit that one as well. I also had under on Brooklyn, the Clippers. I feel pretty good about all four. Oh, well, you definitely you have a shakeup in Brooklyn, so you're welcome. I'll, I'll <laughs> say that my team very much contributed to your success. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, was sure. a little, I was a little worried with that 12-game winning streak, but then once, like, uh, KD got hurt, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll sure I'll find a way to hit this number. I mean, it's funny. Like we talk about them with the sky's falling. They are they're eleven or ten games over five hundred still. Oh, here he goes talking himself into it. No, they're not a final <laughs> team. If they if they if they make if they can get to like a seventh game of a first round series, that's a win right now with recalibrated expectations. If they can avoid the playing game, that's a win. Yeah, that too. Yeah, we'll see what happens with the, down the stretch. I think you guys are coming on here. If you want to check out your pod, how can they do that? Um, well, you can follow us on Twitter at Sorry Sports. I always tweet out the podcast. Um, at starting our own podcast, get it wherever the podcast. I don't know wherever they put the podcast, but it's, it's everywhere. It's That's a, right. It's on. It's out in the. It's out in the cloud. You can go pull it down if you want. Exactly. There you go. Thank all you, right. Mike. Very well said. All right, guys. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks for having us.
right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast, getting ready to talk some Rocky movies, something I'm excited about because I've been waiting a while for the next one in the franchise to come out, Creed 3 coming out this Friday from date of uh, episode being your podcast feeds. Well, with me today, two of the biggest Rocky fans I know. First up, the podcast legal correspondent, Phil Freida. Phil, how are you? Uh, I'm okay, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm excited for the movie. Yeah, I'm bumping the movie, too. Also with us today, make his debut on the Justin Suffering Podcast. Friends of the Sky Guys may have heard of him before doing the Book of Boba Fett episode. Mike Pagan is here. Mike, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, very excited to talk some Rocky. Yeah. I'm very excited to talk some Rocky as well here. And I was, I'm still shocked and believe that we're getting onto the ninth film of this franchise at Creed 3 coming out here. So, Phil, I'll start with you. Why did they make this franchise so successful? Well, uh, I remember when, uh, I guess, Rocky 6 or Rocky Balboa came out. Yeah, so they still got two games left. 15 years ago, and there had been a, obviously a long break between them. And uh kind of didn't think that there was ever going to be another one. But that movie was pretty solid uh but but creed has really just jump-started the franchise again it's a it's an excellent film series uh i think i probably rated it a little too low when we get to our uh rankings but uh i think it just creed just hits so many of the right buttons it's uh it continues the franchise it pays homage to the original franchise but it also is more a more modern take on uh on the original franchise it's, it I think connects with a lot of audiences. Yeah, like what about you? What 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 do you think has made Rocky stand the test of time? I mean, the first one came out in seven, 1976. Now we're here, March of twenty twenty three. Got another one coming. Uh, I mean, I got to give all the credit to to my guy Sly Stallone. You know, he's just a uh, he's just he's a lovable guy. He's like I always view him like a almost like an uncle. You know, and I don't think I um, have that connection to a cele- any other uh, celebrity other than Stallone. And just, I don't know, he was able to find something that just connected with people. It's just that underdog story that people love. And it just, it's resonated now for almost 50 years, which is amazing. It really is amazing for sure here. here. And I th- I got to ask everybody, Pat, before you start, what was the first movie that drew you in here? Was it the first one? Is it another, a different one? What was it, Phil? I watched them in order uh, when I was a kid with, with my dad. Uh, so I started with Rocky 1 and then just watched them in order. Uh, Mike, same deal for you. You started, started with 1 and went all the way up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we own the, uh, the VHS box set of all five, and we would just watch them all straight through. Yeah, I feel like the same thing. Like, I obviously, I saw bits and pieces. The first time I saw one all the way through was Rocky 1. So, obviously, that one hooked me in. And then 5, I was sitting there going, what the hell are we watching here? And then they got back on track after that. Yeah, 5, uh, I don't watch 5. <laughs> yeah, 5 is when we could, is it over 10 doesn't exist. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the Godfather 3 of the of the Rocky franchise. Yeah, so what we're going to do here today is in honor of this movie coming out here, we're going to rank as a group here with five rankings. We're going to average out the Rocky movies from best to worst here. The panel is our three votes are in there. Plus, we added in here uh, podcast film critic John Stanko. It's estimated his list. And uh, Sky Guy's co-host, along with um, Phil's brother Nick, also has submitted some rankings here. So we have five sets of ratings to judge us off of. So, Phil, what do you think of the group we got here? Uh, you got the right guys. Um I, I always enjoy listening to John on your podcast, so I'm curious to see what he thinks. 
Everybody's list here. We're going to go overall here. There was one consensus ranking on the list here. It's going to take a while. Guess what it was? Rocky wow. Five was yeah. number eight. <laughs> that is correct. Rocky Five, dead last. Uh, eight out of eight on all five lists here. So I think we should start as we have Mike. Like, what went wrong with this movie? Um, Everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just... It, he, I don't know. He, he doesn't even box in it, right? It's like a... He just has a street fight, and he's dumber than ever compared to any of the other movies. It's cheesy. It's just, it is a terrible, terrible movie. Although it does have some unintentionally funny moments, it's just absolutely terrible. Easily the worst of all of them. Yeah, Phil, two things I remember about this movie is that, like, we had the Tommy Gunn thing where Rocky's trying to mentor him because he can't box anymore. Paulie apparently gave away all his money in a Ponzi scheme or something like that. And then and then uh, Rocky's kid, who's actually Stallone's actual son, is, like, a terrible drag in the movie. It's... Uh, Pagan hit the nail on the head. It's just a terrible movie. Uh, and you really don't really have to say anything more other than it's it's a boxing movie where the main character doesn't box. That's kind of the only thing you have to say. Did Ghost Mickey do a few guys in that movie? Or was he another big part of the problem? Um, I mean, I, I think that's one of the only redeeming things about it yeah. is Ghost Mickey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, kind of felt a little like, uh, you know, Ben Kenobi on Dagobah, yeah. but uh, that works a little bit better in the. Star Wars, where there's <laughs> mythicism and fantasy, than Rocky. So uh, I, I don't. I really have nothing good to say about that movie. Yeah, I mean, it, that one felt like it was rushed as hell. That movie. I mean, Rocky Four comes out '85. This Francis says dorm for a few years, and Rocky like, and Stallone's like, ah, oh, we could wrap it up here. And then they had no story, and then that was just nothing to this movie. It really was terrible. I mean, the fact this movie ends with a street fight here, and I think. I don't know if you guys ever heard of the original pitches for Rocky to die in the street fight. That would have made it even worse. Oh, I I did not know that. That would have, I mean, I don't know how you can't go much lower than being dead last in the rankings, but if that happened, oof. I mean, I mean, I guess Creed wouldn't have happened then, so thank God they didn't go that route. Yeah, because I'm looking at the Wikipedia entry right now. It says, the original script, Rocky is killed during the final fight with Tommy, dying in Adrian's arms in the street. According to Stallone, a director in the studio had second thoughts. Eventually, Stallone rewrote the ending, and he decided to change it because Rocky is supposed to be a perseverance redemption, having him die in a street fall against the roots of the series. So, Phil, I have no idea. I guess he was tired of making it at that point, but like that's a terrible way to end the character. Yeah, well, uh, we're, we're going to get here, but uh, apparently, Rocky's not going to be in Creed Three. So uh, he's not. I guess we'll see how they end the character in in, in an off-screen uh, manner, but. Uh, yeah, that, that just would have been, like I said, uh, I pretend that that movie didn't, didn't exist. Yeah, it, it certainly doesn't exist. A little off from here. Number seven on the list here. Rocky five, an average score of eight of, like, of the front of the panel here. Numbers uh, seven, six, and five are only separated by about point, eight tenths of a point here. So it's this little tier here. It'll take a wild guess, uh, Phil, what the next movie we're talking about is. You know, I don't know. This is tough because, uh, and I said this to you, I thought five through seven are really a toss-up. And I I actually changed my vote after I gave it to you. Uh, I, I'm. Is it Rocky three? It is not Rocky that, that's three. That's what I put as number seven. 
It is not Rocky 3. It is actually Creed 2 is number 7 on the list here. So the last movie that came out got an average score of 5.6 here. So this is sort of the spiritual sequel to Rocky 4 where uh, uh, like uh, Drago and his son are, are dealing with Creed's Creed son in the ring here. Like, Mike, did this story land with you like all these years later? Um, You know, it's funny. I know it's number 7. So I guess on this list, it's the second worst it's not a bad movie at all though um yeah no it just it didn't it didn't resonate as on a on as much of an emotional level as i guess the other movies did uh the fight choreography was all very good um even though the drago stuff i thought dolph lundgren was actually pretty good in it but yeah it was just it was missing something that all of the other movies have it's kind of it, it's hard to properly explain that it just doesn't have that same feeling i think yeah, i feel like my issue with the movie is just i felt like the that the temptation to go to drago was already there because he's the one who kills apollo creed in rocky four i think the problem is like i mean like we see that like adonis creed basically gets like accepts his father's legacy i think like one movie ago and now we're immediately going back into oh you have to avenge your father's death I feel like it was not really earned yet yeah, yeah, that that's probably right. Uh, and I had originally ranked this as seven, and then I kind of reshuffled my rankings at the eleventh hour. And the reason why is actually I rewatched this movie over the weekend, and uh, it it's a pretty entertaining movie. It's it's well done. Uh, that Michael B. Jordan is excellent, like like he is in pretty much every role he ever has. So so is Tessa Thompson. So. Uh, but but I, I understand the criticism of it doesn't really have the the same kind of soul and the Drago thing does seem a little rushed. But uh, but even I, I like the way that they played the Drago thing, though, uh, where, uh, you know, throwing in the towel uh, as opposed to what Rocky should have done with Apollo. Uh, so so I like that. Um, but I don't think it's a bad movie, though, by any means. And I think that's going to be true of all the movies we rank one through seven. Yeah, I think we talked. Like about- I said, I think five through seven's total point flip. Yeah, I think we all agree. This is just this is one bad movie like, in the whole franchise. We already talked about it here. The rest of these are all good to various degrees, depending on your sources here. For some data here on on the Creed two situation here, I think uh, I had it six. Phil had it five. He moved it up on his list. Mike had it seven. Uh, Stanko had it five, and Nick had it five. So it was a it's a pretty solid average. There's like middle tier pack movie here. That's where it should be, in my opinion. That sounds right. Yep. Next up here, number six on the list here. Average score of 5.0, so about half a point better than the last movie here. Mike, I guess where we're going now. Uh, I mean, I'll I'll go off my list. I think it's going to be Rocky Balboa. Mike did nail it. It's Rocky Balboa coming in here at number six, 5.0. The the relaunch of the franchise in 2006 here. Mike, why did you have it at six on your list? Um... I don't again it's hard because like we're saying all these movies are good like you said to varying degrees. Um I think I put it at 6 just because it is faintly ridiculous the <laughs> the whole idea of it. Um but no I mean it's it's a good movie. Stallone is great in it. I mean his his famous speech to his son in it is phenomenal. Um but again I think it's just that you know, it, it's the suspension of 
belief or a suspension of disbelief. It's just a little too much watching a what, 60 something year old Sylvester Stallone yeah. fight a then in his prime Antonio Tarver. Like yeah. a it's, it's a little it's a little bit harder to believe than the situations in the other movies. Yeah, Phil, I feel like the one person of this movie is that like the way we get Rocky into the ring is a bit ridiculous. Like in terms of like he just sees a simulated fight that plays out where he would have beaten this guy. Like and the name Mason the Line Dix is also a terrible name for a boxer, so I will point that out there in the universe as well. But I do think this movie I think had a lot of stuff like outside the ring that worked much better with the choice to, you know, kill Adrian between movies, have Rocky like sort of like be at a loss of what to do with his life. I thought that stuff was good as well. I, I had this movie ranked higher. I'm surprised that it, it came in this low. I, I love this movie when it came out. I thought it was a great, uh, I thought it, it really paid a lot of respect to kind of the original Rocky. It followed a very similar storyline. Uh, I like the the interplay with his son. Um, I mean, sure, it was ridiculous to have a 60 something year old man fight Antonio Tarver and hold his own. But uh, but I like that. Still, it, it was it was entertaining. It was a fun movie to watch, and it definitely paid. It it saved the franchise, no doubt. If that if that movie was a a bomb, there is no creed. Yeah, yeah, Mike. I do think a couple things here. My point number one, I did think the storytelling also having uh, Antonio Tarver's character break his hand on the first punch is sort of like is a way to keep the fight going along. Was very hilarious and. I was also happy that uh, Duke was in the movie. It, was, it was, ended up being his last movie. I think the actor died before Creed. So I thought that was a, uh, a good spot to get him in as well. Yeah, no, that, that whole training sequence was was pretty great. Um, but yeah, yeah, him breaking his hand in what, the first round or the first punch. Yeah. It's just, you know, they, they I, I appreciate them at least trying to offer up some sort of explanation of why rocky could be able to hold his own in that situation but still like i mean all, all the faults i'm gonna find in these movies coming up it's really gonna be just a lot of nitpicking at this point i think more than like real flaws in the movies yeah yeah phil two other things i want to address here one did you know there's actually a version of this story where they had they filmed a take where rocky won the fight and then they end up going to say no no it's too unrealistic I didn't, but I'm happy that isn't the version that made the final cut. Uh, him losing the fight and a split decision was the right way to do it. Yeah, number two, did the character, bring about the character Lilla Marie and her, like, uh, son steps. Did, he, did those characters land at all? I thought they were kind of just, like, extraneous to the movie. No, I, I think that was very, hey, that, that's kind of a, uh, South Park calls it the member berries. Yeah. That's a, like, a, do, do you remember that character from the original movie? Oh, yeah, I remember her. But uh, it's just a nostalgia point. She didn't need to be in the movie at all. But overall, I thought it was a good movie. It saved the franchise. And and I think that all of these movies are consistent, with the exception of um, maybe even Creed too. but all the Rocky movies, for sure, are unrealistic. That's That's kind of the purpose of, that's the story, right? It's, it's the ultimate underdog. Yeah, and Mike, in terms of the little, little Marie thing, I feel like this is a sense of like still saying, hey, I need a female character in the movie after I killed Adrian off. So I feel like that's the only way they went with that. Yeah, it, it just felt very forced and not natural. And I think that's actually the worst part of the movie. Yeah, I mean, I look at the list here. I mean, Phil and I were the high ones. I both had it at four. And then you, Nick, and uh, John Stanko all had it at six. So that's why mm -hmm. it ends up over here. You're in the majority, Mike. Okay. All right. 
Next up here on the list here, we ha- we still have Rockies 1 through 4 and Creed 1 available to us. So, Phil, where do you think we're going next? It's got to be Rocky 3. It is Rocky 3 here. Average of 4.8, narrowly ahead of the uh, Rocky Balboa here. And I will say probably... Because probably because I put it a lot higher than most people did. Actually, no. Actually, your brother's responsible. Your brother has Rocky three number one. Number one? Yeah, he's number one on his list. Uh, are you Boy. sure that wasn't a typo? No, I, he, <laughs> I said, are you sure this is your list? He sent me numbers. He said, yep, this is my order. Uh, okay, well, uh, it's certainly not number one. I don't know what he was thinking. But, uh, <laughs> but Rocky three is, again, not a bad movie. Uh, entertaining. I like the whole Rocky uh, needs to be redeemed uh he he needs to get his his heart back i like that uh he learns how to be a true boxer from apollo uh in the movie he actually gets conditioned but uh it does have some downfalls too uh mickey dies still don't really understand why he died uh it seemed like he just kind of slipped and fell they don't really explain it like did he have a heart attack uh don't know and and Clubber Lang is is a good villain, but he gets a little ridiculous as the movie goes on. <laughs> yeah, I felt like Clubber Lang, like sorry, basically Mr. T playing Mr. T in the movie. Yeah, it's it's very professional wrestling-y. Yeah. Yeah, I did I did think that was also hilarious here. I just love the the store the storyline I thought was simple. It's a very tight 90 minutes in this movie, Mike, as well. I feel like it flies by, and I did think seeing him have to, like, you know, like like have Mickey admit basically as he's done, like, Hey, like I was trying to protect you. I didn't think you could actually do it. And then have Apollo step in and be like Rocky's sort of new trainer and teach him the right way to box. That was a fun moment. Well, the racing down the beach in slow-mo was also ridiculous. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's so bad that it's good, <laughs> I think. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a fun movie. That's like I said, not very good. I think it probably has, I mean, going off the top of my head, besides, of course, I think we're just ignoring five at this point. But I think it has probably the worst fight choreography of any of them. I don't think a single jab is thrown yeah. in that movie. I think it's just <laughs> it's just all hooks, yeah. just just haymakers all around. Yeah. Um, but no, even though it's ridiculous and over the top, and uh, it's just it's fun. It's just a fun movie. Thunder lips in the beginning. I was about to bring yeah, that up. Hogan was in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I told so you they, they had no story at all because they had to spend 10 minutes at the Rocky getting his ass beat by Hulk Hogan. Yeah, which was just, I mean, it's hilarious yeah. and ridiculous and I love it, but yeah, no, not not the best of the Rocky movies for sure. I will say though, I'll give them credit for a clever way to keep uh, Apollo Creed in the story after he loses to Rocky in the second movie. Yeah, no, I mean, because Carl Weathers was great in the role, extremely charismatic. Um, so yeah, kudos to them for keeping him around. Yeah. So to reset the rankings on Rocky three here, I got an average score of, uh, of 4.8 here. So I get, I had it fifth on my list. Uh, Phil had it seventh on his list. You had it fourth, Mike, uh, John Stanko had it seven and Nick had it number one. So a wide <laughs> range on this, on this movie. Well, uh, I guess Nick is the reason why that movie Made it as high as it did. That's the reason. He's the reason why it's ahead of Rocky Balboa. Because it would have been down much lower if, if not for that. Oh, yeah, I don't know what he was thinking. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> well, we, let's go on now to our top four here. So, uh, Mike, what do you think is next here? We have the Rocky One, Rocky Two, Rocky Four, and Creed. 
Uh, I'm going to say Rocky 2. Uh, you are actually incorrect. It is actually Rocky 4 at 4. Oh, that's... Which you were one of the highest on this movie. You and Nick both had it number two. So tell me why you're shocked is here. I, I mean, okay, I, on a completely objective level, yeah, maybe it's not the second best, but it's probably the most enjoyable of the Rocky movie. Rocky ends the Cold War. How do you? <laughs> yeah, how, how do you? How do you not make at least the top three on that? It's it's the greatest Christmas movie ever made. Yeah. It's just. Wow, I, I am I am shocked and appalled at how low this movie is. You're shocked at Paul's only at four. Yeah, no, I think at worst you got to give it number three, but I don't know. I, I guess how uh, Nick is way too high on Rocky three. Maybe maybe I'm way too high on Rocky four. He's right there with you. It's number. It's his number two movie. Yeah. So that's I, all. I just I, I I love everything about it. The whole the whole thing. Drago is the perfect villain. Um, yeah, but that has the best training montage of the entire series. Yeah, Rocky training in Russia is probably. I will give you that. It's the best training montage of all of them. Yeah, he's got a sweet beard in it. The whole thing. It's. I just I just I, I love the movie. Absolutely love it. Yeah, Phil, you and I were lower on this movie. So you want to start with like why you had it lower on the list? Uh, well, I love Rocky Four, so part of the reason that I had it lower on the list is simply that I think all these movies are so good. But uh, the main re—I think the beginning of Rocky Four is so bad that it lowers the movie. With the the stupid robot that Paulie gets him is is so <laughs> stupid, uh, and that to me knocks it down a few pegs. Uh, once you get to the part where Apollo starts fighting Drago, then the movie is good from that point on. But leading up to that is is so bad that it knocks it down a few pegs for me. Yeah, I do. I agree with Phil. I had it lower than than you as well. I just feel like in terms of my issues, the beginning of the movie was bad, and I I also think like the the fact that Rocky lets his like lets his like new best friend get killed in the ring, I think is also a very bad look on the character. It's one he's gonna basically be stuck like regretting the rest of his life. And I do think like when you have a when you have Duke screaming, you throw the towel, throw the towel when like he. You can clearly see that he's got no chance here. He's doing it to try and play with egos. A dumb move on my part. Yeah, I mean, I I, I get that. Um, it's funny. I don't know if you guys have seen the uh, Stallone's director's cut of Rocky Four. It was on Amazon Prime, so it was like it, oh. it was the version he wanted to do. So no robot. Yeah. Um. The, the motivations of Apollo are fleshed out more. Rocky not throwing in the towels a little fleshed out more because you understand Apollo's motivations. So I would say check, definitely check that out when you get the chance. I think it's still on Amazon Prime. Um, but it's it's definitely, like I said, a movie. It's definitely better than what came out in theaters. Yeah, I also do feel, I do, did feel like it was a... Like I, I quite it was a choice to you know get rid of Carl Weathers at that point like in terms of the character here, but like the signs he's fine he's fact I find interesting here. Do you guys know apparently like Dolph Lundgren was like such an asshole during the fights that like both like uh, Stallone and Weathers had issues with him? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, apparently uh, I will. Yeah, uh, I, I was just gonna say I will push back on you though. I, I actually like that he doesn't throw the towel. Yeah, I think it works. I think he. I think the fact that he makes a mistake. Makes him human. Yeah. 
And it's important to, to show that Rocky's human because sometimes he seems invincible. So uh, I, I kind of like that he doesn't throw in the towel there. Think it, and it also sets up really well for Creed, yeah. um, which I understand wasn't the intent at the time, but but I kind of like it. Uh, I, I'm, I agree with Pagan. It's the best training montage. Really, it's just the robot. If you get the robot out of that movie, it's, <laughs> it's much better. Yeah, for me, it's like splitting hairs. I had it pretty low. In terms of the stuff with Dolph Lundgren, apparently during a training sequence, uh, he punched that Sylvester Sloan in the chest so hard that like his chest bone like caused his heart to swell and he had to go in the hospital for like eight, late going for eight days. Mm. And apparently during the filming of the Apollo Drago fight, Dolph Lundgren threw Carl Weathers to a corner so hard that he almost quit the movie, Carl Weathers. Wow. Well, didn't Antonio Tarver knock out Stallone in training by accident? I didn't look that one up. I was I had to check double check fact check that one here. But to reset where Rocky Four went on the list here, I had it very close at Creed Two. I put it seven. That's why it's probably down where it is here. Phil had it six. Uh, Mike mentioned had it two. Nick had it two. John Stanko had it four. So he had it right in the right spot in the rankings. Rocky does end the Cold War. That 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 part is true. It, yeah, and as a uh, WFAN, like Mike Wright says, famously went on the air ranting about how Rocky had a whole speech to Politburo. <laughs> Let's see here. We got three movies left here. It's the first two Rockies and Creed here. Phil, do you think Creed cracked the top three? Cracked the top two? Uh, I know that I didn't put him in the top two, but I kind of regret that. I think I should have. So uh, I'm going to say no, just because uh, apparently my brother ruined the rankings. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm gonna go no. Yeah, your brother's the reason is not at the t- in the top two. I feel like most likely here because Creed checks in at number three here on the list. The reboot with Michael B. Jordan's uh, illegitimate son of Apollo Creed, like, learning about his legacy and going seeking out Rocky to box to teach him how to box here. So, Mike, when you saw this the first time, what did you think about this movie? Oh, it was awesome. I was so pleasantly surprised because I, I wasn't expecting much from it. No, it's like it's a Rocky movie where Rocky's not the main character. So I'm just like the whole idea that Apollo has some random son we've never heard about before. But it it all works. The whole the whole thing works. The fights are amazing. The training scenes are amazing. The acting's amazing. Michael B. Jordan, like Phil said before, he's good in pretty much everything he's in. But Stallone, out of nowhere, was phenomenal in it like actually acting really really well and i'm still salty that he didn't get the uh oscar for best supporting actor yeah phil that's a for, forgotten fact here sylvester Stallone was nominated for the academy award for performance in this movie i i remember i was watching one of the few times i watched the academy awards for that one reason <laughs> just to see if he won uh yeah i agree with everything Pagan said that movie was uh same boat uh, i said oh wow they're they're really desperate some movie about Apollo Creed's illegitimate son who we've never heard of. Uh, but I, I went because I'm a fan and I was like, wow, like, like wow, that, that was excellent. Yeah, it was great here. I will give also good credit too to the, to the performances, obviously, because his Michael B. Jordan as Adonis Creed, who is now directing three, by the way, Ryan Coogler prior Black Panther. This is, I think, one of his big breakout films here. And, Ironically, Phil, this is sort of like the premise for Rocky that we had in Rocky Five. It done fifty times better. Yes, uh, and one of the things that's actually memorable, in my opinion, about Creed is is the the villain isn't even that memorable. Yeah, it, it's it's a true 
story of just uh, Stallone mentoring the uh, Adonis and, and turning him into just a champion. It certainly is here, and I do think it was a point where we do see uh, Rocky here because at this point in the movie, like, we're 10 years out of Balboa, and, like, not only has Adrian died, Paulie's now died, so, like, he's really on his own, and, like, this, like, and he has, like, not Hodgson's late fallen by here, and, like, see, Creed does give him a reason, Adonis gives him a, gives him a, does give him a reason to, leave, to live, Mike. Yeah, no, definitely. The, their whole dynamic and their relationship in that movie was awesome. Like, it just... You totally buy it. I mean, pretty much right off the bat from their first interaction. And going back to what, what Phil said before, too, where, like, the villain's not even, like, it's not super memorable. I mean, that's such a good point. Because in all these movies, right, the first two, you have Apollo, Clubber Lang, Drago, e- even Tommy Gunn, right? <laughs> it's all, like... You, you remember their names like i don't remember the the guy he fights at the end I, I don't remember what his name is i know in real life it's he's an actual boxer tony bellew but in the movie like I'm, I'm not sure what his name is and that's i think the only movie in the whole series where where i can say that yeah pretty ricky conlin is the uh, villain in the movie nah. oh, yeah, yeah okay yeah so to re- now, now that you say it i remember it but yeah he's not and 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 the way that they portray him too, he he's not portrayed as like some you know WWE style villain like Clover Lang, or he's just just a boxer who's uh, you know doesn't think that uh, Adonis can beat him. Yep. To reset the list here, of how this went here, I had it three, Phil had it three, Mike had it five, John Snack was the highest of the panel here, he had number two on his list, and your brother had it number seven. <laughs> Well, I, I would move it to two uh, upon reconsideration, but uh, seven, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I may, maybe Nick should stick to the Star Wars rankings. <laughs> yep. So actually, after- he, he's wrong about that too. But uh, so that's we can talk about that on the, the other podcast. Yeah, average score four point for Creed. Does that have Rocky Four's four point two? So that's where it stands on the list here. So. I'm going to go to the top two. We're not, I'm not going to waste any time on this. Rocky 2 was second here. Average a score of 2.8. Go around the panel here. Uh, I added a 2. Phil added a 2. Mike had a 3. Uh, Stanko had a 3. And Nick had it 4. So that's the Rocky 2 landing spots here. So, Phil, now we got the sequel here after the original Rocky wins the Oscar for Best Picture here. Like, how do you, like, how do you think they handled the sequel? Pretty much as well as you can handle a sequel. Uh, sequels are rarely ever as good as the originals um i don't know if i could think of many movies where the sequel was better star wars i guess uh but that's about it um so i think they handled it as well as you could uh make rocky win at the end okay fine uh, who wants to see the movie if he's gonna lose again that's not it's not a fun movie at that point uh and i think they played well about the he's a changing man now right he made some money from this fight with Apollo uh, from some endorsement deals and things like that is it's going to be a father. So, uh, so I like all that. I thought, thought it was well and, and uh, how they, they get him back with the Taya Shire telling him, you know, I want you to win that, that motivates him to go train and try and win the fight. Yeah. Mike, I did like the sort of idea that like at the, at 
at the end of the first movie, he says happy where he is. Apollo's the one who was, was hankering for the rematch and is like, feel like his reputation been damaged by that first fight. So I did think it was fun angle to have like Apollo, even though he quote unquote like won the fight, like he realized like I still need to actually whip this guy's ass to show that I'm still like the baddest boxer in the world. Yeah, definitely. There's there's winning the contest, right? Winning the sporting event, which Apollo did. But Rocky won that fight in the first one. The court of public opinion, Rocky is the winner in that. You know, like, so it makes sense for someone like Apollo who's that prideful that he'd want to get one back and prove that it was just a fluke and and everything. And like Phil was saying too, like, I, I like that it explored him, you know, making some money and then seem being seemingly content with, you know, a post-boxing life but then not really being able to adjust, being awful in commercials. You know, he's, he smeals mainly and all that stuff. Yeah. And it's just it. It's a, it's a good movie that does justice to the first one, but it, it doesn't, I don't think it really comes close to, to overtaking it at all. Yeah, my re like I agree with Phil. I think it's like I try to put Creed higher than this. I think like the the two nitpicks I have of the movie is like number one, like how they have like Adrian slip in a coma. I feel like is just very like cliche and like sort of give Rocky reason not to get into this fight. And then have the her coming out saying go win felt like very cliche. And I thought the way the fight ended was a little ridiculous. Also, they're both falling on the ground and then like one of them they're both struggling to get up and climb the ropes. I felt like that like was a weak ending to that fight. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. That's why it, it's funny. Rank, I think initially I might have had this ranked number four, but I don't know. It, it's it's tough. I, I like the angle too, where you know he's training and he's not really focused, and I think the fame's gotten to his head a little bit. And I, I like the whole idea that you can't be successful with that. That you kind of have to get back to basics. You have to shut out whatever else is going on and just focusing on the fight. Like, I like that whole aspect of it. And that's, I mean, same thing with Rocky three as well. Like just forget all the distractions, just get down, train, focus solely on the fight and you'll be successful. Yeah. Phil, they tend to repeat these themes quite a bit in these movies. I mean, we've talked about at least like three or four different like storylines that has recurred over like multiple movies. Yeah. And that's, uh, I think that's kind of a problem of sports movies as a whole, though. Uh, you, you mentioned that the the ending of the movie, and, and I started thinking, I think every sports movie pretty much ever ends with some ridiculous final play. Like, remember the Titans? They run a reverse from 80 yards, and the quarterback, like, block, lead blocks three different guys. Uh, there's a million basketball movies that end with uh, some, like, half-court shot going in. Uh, it, pretty much every sports movie, it, you know, it doesn't end with like uh, the quarterback kneeled out the clock or they milked the last four minutes by running the ball and <laughs> won the won the game. So uh, I think all sports movies kind of have that problem of stupid endings. And uh, I think in in the context of boxing, there there is only kind of one story you could tell, right? You train to win the fight and then you win the fight. It, it's it, it. I don't know. I don't know how to tell another story when it comes to boxing. So. I agree that they all have this problem, but I think it's just the nature of the sports movie. Yep. So that's it for Rocky Two. Now we close it out with the original here, the one that won the Oscar in 1976. Start the reason why we're still talking about this movie almost 50 years later here. 
Number one on my list. Number one on your list. Number one on Mike's list. Number one on Stanko's list. Number three on Nick's list. So that's the uh, the, av- the list there. The average of 1.4 for Rocky 1. So Nick's list did sort of shake up the things a little bit, Phil. I don't know how you put Rocky 3 ahead of Rocky 1, but uh, okay. Uh, yeah, look, Rocky 1 is, it, it's not only the best Rocky movie, it's one of the best movies ever. And that, and it, it Think about it. This movie won an Academy Award with Sylvester Stallone as the lead actor. That that's like it's almost hard to think of in in today's world that 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 would never happen. And it's not a knock on Stallone. It's just that he doesn't fit the part as a typical. This movie's going to win an Academy Award. Uh, it, it was. It's just a perfect movie in in all respects. It uh, it, it hits on the underdog story. It's the most relatable underdog movie you're ever going to see. Uh, I think even more so than Rudy. And uh, it's just uh, uh, Carl Weathers is so good as as this this villain, this champion, who's and Rocky Stallone's just great. Paulie's great. Adrian's great. Everybody in the movie is just great. And Mickey, uh, Burgess Meredith, is, that's his best movie in the series by far. It's, it's just a excellent, excellent movie. Yeah, Mike, I did also love this, like, back here. I mean, this movie did, like, this made Stallone's career. Because it's funny, like, he was, like, basically broke and had no money. And, like, he had to, like, fight to get himself in the movie. They were trying, several studios were trying to get, like, a bigger name actor to play the role of Rocky. He said, no, I got to do it my way. And he was right. He got him, he got him Oscar winning movie out of this. No, I mean, that's honestly so inspirational that, like, I mean, yeah, he said he got offers to just sell the script and someone would have taken it and done whatever they would do with it but he believed in himself enough. I mean, it's almost like a Rocky story in itself outside of the movie. Like it's underdog story. Like this guy who just believes in himself so much. And he's, this conviction is so strong and he sticks to it and he gets his chance and scores a knockout. You know, it's, and like Phil's saying, it's just that it's a perfect movie, right? It doesn't have really any of the cheesiness of the, of all the sequels it's a serious movie and it's just it is absolutely awesome i mean it, it's it's perfect it's probably oh, it, it's hard to say like my, my top movies of all time it's top 10 top five maybe depending on the day or the week yeah, it might but, crack, i might crack them out rush more for you yeah no it's it is just it's a life-changing movie for me, watching it. Yeah, and I love this movie as a whole. I mean, like, Phil, they made a Broadway musical out of this movie. It's, it had widespread appeal. It's just an excellent movie. And let me, you know, what I think actually is one of the things that makes the movie so good is that they don't have him win. Yeah. I think it's it's it really uh, captures the entire story. Like Bagan was saying, you could lose the fight but still win the fight at the same time. And that's what Rocky does. And and it it's such a departure from every other sports movie, like I was just talking about. Right. In the typical sports movie, Rocky would be on one leg and land some miracle knockout punch and knock him out in the 15th round as the bell was about to go off. And, and you know, it would be one second left on the on the bell before and the count out, okay, Rocky wins. But they didn't do that. And by not doing that, I think it it makes the movie just so much more relatable that okay, this guy, just the only reason that he's 
even standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with Apollo is nothing more than just grit and heart. Just the refusal to go down. Yeah, I do love this, especially they're in the movie, man. They do set it up very well, this sort of subvert that takes always got to find a way to win. It's like, hey, like, I tell Adrian, I got no shots, but I want to go the distance. That becomes our goal, was see if we can actually make to the end of the fight. And then if he does, like, we're all pumped as an audience. Yeah, no, it's just, it's it's amazing. Like I said, he, he loses the fight, but he finishes that fight much stronger than Apollo does, and he wins the crowd over, right? Because going in, like, Apollo's not your typical movie villain either. Like, he's, in movie universe, extremely popular. He's a beloved champion. You know, he's cocky and he's whatever he's just you know flamboyant guy but you know people love him and then through the movie and through the fight you know rocky wins that crowd over just like feels like through grit and determination and heart and it kind of proves the saying that what is it hard work beats talent when talent refuses to work hard because even to the movie rocky's training you know he's hitting the slabs of beef Meanwhile, Apollo's more concerned about business dealings, right? And there's the scene Duke's watching the news where Rocky's in the meat warehouse, punching the meat. He's like, oh, you should watch this. And Apollo's not even concerned a little bit. And then come fight time, I think Rocky breaks his ribs. Yeah. You know, and it's just, I don't know, every, everything about the movie. There's so many life lessons you can take from this movie. It's, know, it's amazing. I love it. Yeah, two things. I just want to add one point. Burgess Meredith as Mickey really is is so good. It's so out of left field for what a uh, a trainer would be, right? This isn't some guy who can say, oh, I used to be the heavyweight champion in my day. It's like somebody who runs a no-name boxing gym in the middle of Philadelphia, and, and he is able to motivate Rocky so well i think his i think his character is great in that movie i think he does such a good job and it's it's kind of underappreciated and obviously burgess meredith uh we're too young to know but uh was a legitimate actor in his heyday yeah two things i'll point out here two fun nuggets about the movie here in terms of production stuff here number one did you know that uh the role of Paul's was really out for the ken norton but he pulled out that that's why it ended up being carl weathers Thank, thank God for that. I can't imagine anybody else in that role. And number two, with the date with Rocky and Adrian, the reason why it was at night when he has to bribe security guard to go an empty rink, they originally wanted to do it on a public rink, but they couldn't, they realized they couldn't pay for the extras, so they had to be cheap about it. So that's why it's on a, it's a, it's on an abandoned rink at night. See, that's just, I mean, it, it goes back to, you know, Stallone wanting to do it his way, right? If he sells that script. Maybe they shoot that scene in daytime because they'll actually have money to to pay extras. So ev everything about this movie just works between all the bets Stallone placed on himself. It's just everything works. And I can't imagine it being any other way. Yeah, absolutely. Here, So I'm going to take a second here. We're going to reset the, the board here in terms of the rankings. This is what we got going on here. We have uh number eight rocky five number seven creed two six rocky balboa five rocky three four rocky four three creed two rocky two and one rocky like now you see the whole list did anything jump out to you that stick that sticks out i feel like this is a pretty fair list um yeah i mean i think it's it's pretty close to how i had it like i, I don't have any issues with it because we said like a lot of those I'd say anything from 
two to five really could, you know, depending on a day, depending on your mood, you know, they could, you know, number five could be number three one day. Number five was number one for somebody in the voted on this. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, right, you you love what you love, I guess, right? Yeah, I feel like my one thing is I'm with Phil. I would have flip flopped Creed and Rocky too upon like further thought. I think it's yeah. getting, splitting hairs at this point. Yeah, yeah, I would have flipped them, yeah. but I'd like to see the rankings without Nick's waiting uh, <laughs> <laughs> down. I think they'd probably be more what we'd all agree to, but, but yeah, I think uh, for the most part, these movies are kind of interchangeable. You just, Rocky's obviously number one and Rocky five is obviously number eight. And then two through seven is kind of interchangeable in my view. Yeah. So that's the list of the Rocky movies here. Now we got to get real quick to the new one here. Creed three coming out on March 3rd here. It is delayed a little bit by COVID here. Uh, I'll give you the synopsis here. We've seen the trailers here. At the end of Creed two, Adonis Donnie Creed starting about his boxing career and family life. A childhood friend for a boxing prodigy, Damian Dame Anderson, researches after serving a long sentence in prison, he's eager to prove he deserves his shot in the ring. The face-off between former friends is more than just a fight. Sell the score, Dame was his future on the line to battle. Dame, a fighter has nothing to lose here. I think this is really a direction, Mike, we've never really gotten in a Rocky movie before, so I think that's a fun way to go with this. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely interested in it. Um, I guess I'm, I kind of feel the same way I felt about the previous two Creed movies where I'm not expecting a whole lot from it, but I think I'll be pleasantly surprised. Cause I mean, again, Michael B. Jordan, great actor. Uh, Jonathan majors is an awesome actor. Actually. I just saw Ant-Man um, yesterday and he's phenomenal in it. And he's just a great actor. So, I mean, it's yeah, this the storyline. I don't, I don't know. We'll see. I'm sure the fight choreography will all be good. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to see it, but hopefully, hopefully it doesn't uh, it doesn't beat out Rocky Five for that last spot. Yeah, Phil, are you excited <laughs> for this movie? I, I'm very excited. Yeah, but uh, but I'm also I'm a little uneasy about about it because of the whole Stallone angle. Stallone's not in it. Uh, I've heard that he was upset about that, that, it, that this wasn't some mutual decision. Uh, so so I'm a little concerned about that, about how, how do you have a Rocky movie without Rocky? Uh, and if there was a more mutual departure, I think that would have made sense, right? Uh, I guess you could have had him die off screen uh, or you could have had him die in the very beginning of the movie. Uh, now, though, I'm, I'm really curious how you make a Rocky movie and explain where Rocky is. Uh, and if it's an off-screen death, that's going to be a little little tough to swallow. I think, Phil, my guess would be they're going to say that Stallone was retired. Like that Rocky retired from being his trainer. That'd be my guess. Is yeah, it? all right. But then you still got to pass the level of believability that he's retired and he's nowhere to be found. You can't call him on the phone. I, I, I don't know. It's I'm very concerned about that. But I am excited to see the movie. Well, I mean, at the end of Creed, too, I mean, his son does show back up here. I mean, they get Mal Ventimiglia back. So, I mean, he's always off with his son right now. They're, like, spending some time together after all the years apart. Yeah, there's ways to do it. It's just, it's obviously not ideal. Yeah. Uh, but but Jonathan Majors is excellent. Um, so, I'm excited to see him. Uh, I think Tessa Thompson's great. 
and I think Michael B. Jordan's great. I like like the director, so uh, I I have no reason to think the movie's going to be anything but good. Yeah, Michael but, B. Jordan's um, directing this himself. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see here. Plus, he's already confirmed, Mike, that Creed Four is coming. That, that even though oh. so, if once that happens, like, assuming it does, this one does bomb like commercially, like we'll be only one movie behind Star Wars in terms of most movies like, from this franchise. Wow, that is. Uh... Wow. Who, who would have thought, right? Nineteen seventy-six. <laughs> who would have thought nineteen ninety? Two thousand and three. I mean, at that point, uh, there was still it was just rumors that there'd be another Rocky. I don't think it was until like oh four or so or five that it was like okay, this is actually happening. Yeah, it's it's actually happening. We're excited to see this movie here. I thank you guys for coming on here and a lot of fun like covering the Rocky movies here. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Always down to talk anything Stallone related, especially Rocky or Rambo. Yeah, I'll do Rambo next. Uh, th- thanks for having us. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And yeah, I'm looking forward to the movie. I uh, hope it continues the legacy. All right, that will do for this week's show. I think my guest first, the sorry to interrupt guys, uh, Sean Rowe, Tom Bacchino, coming on to break down the NBA. Definitely fun conversation, talking hoops with them. Also, want to thank Phil Fright and Mike Pagani. Just heard doing the Rocky rankings here. Definitely a fun spot there. Remember, because I like this podcast, really my explanation, my personal Rocky movie rankings, why I list them the way I did. Check out the blog over at justinsuffering.wordpress.com. Look at the Sky Guys podcast for you Star Wars fans here. We're covering the Bad Batch. We have six episodes left to go last season. The latest episode recap is up in that feed. Plus, if you're following our Mandalorian stuff, you're going to get in this feed, but it's going to be a couple days late. If you want that immediate access to it, subscribe to the Sky Guys. Same podcast, bottom ones at the top at the podcast here. Follow me on Twitter, mphilis331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S. 331. Coming up next week here on the podcast, we're going to, you know, get you ready for some college hoops time because we're going to be in March. The NCAA tournament is coming up here. We'll catch up what's going on in the world of college basketball. We're going to do college hoops mode here on the podcast. That's going to come up as well. But until then, you have a better week than St. John's fans. 